Well, welcome to the Crossing. Good to see you today. Glad that you are in this room and uh, glad that our Southeast campus is meeting right now. It's our last preview service until our official launch two weeks from today and excited about that. And also welcome to all those who are watching online. We have um, hundreds last week, about a thousand people who are watching online and uh, just a great, great thing. We are in the middle of this series on the life of Christ. And here's the premise of this series, is that the closer that you get to Jesus, the more your life will change. We just believe that. When you take steps to get closer to him, your entire life will begin to change. And when you look at the life of Jesus, many of the people that he encountered were in desperate situations. There is something about desperation that just makes you open to God open to what God will do in your life. It's only when that you're, that you're really desperate that you experience God's deliverance, and some of you have been there. I'm going to share a story that I've never really shared before. But my daughter, Corey, when she was in high school, she started having pain whenever she would eat. And it got so bad that she just stopped eating. We started seeing doctors and specialists, and she lost 15 pounds until they discovered that her gallbladder was bad. So we scheduled surgery and we went in, had the surgery and had her gallbladder removed. And we thought that it would get better, but we come to find out that that was only part of the problem. About a month later, she began to have pain again. And she went back to the specialist and the specialist just said, well, it must just be in your head. Well, when you tell a 16-year-old that, it just shuts them down, and she just didn't want to get help again. Well, this began a five-year journey for us. She went to three different doctors in Las Vegas and took numerous, sometimes very, very painful tests, changed her diet, and then finally, just through um, the, some help of some doctors and some people at this church, she was accepted into the UCLA Medical Center to go see some of the top specialists in the country. And so we would travel back and forth to appointments and tests at UCLA. Well, she was finally diagnosed with gastrointestinal hypersensitivity. Basically, the wrong messages were getting sent to her nervous system. So think like a stroke patient, a stroke victim has the wrong messages being sent. It was the same type of thing. And her brain was sending these messages to her nervous system that were just causing unbearable pain. And she was in pain every single day. Some days she was in so much pain that she couldn't get out of bed, that she would just stay in bed and couldn't go to school. She couldn't eat normally when we would all go out to eat as a family. She couldn't go um, with us many times because it was just too hard for her to sit there and watch us eat when she couldn't eat the food. Sometimes that she would just try to just go along with us and then would pay the price the next day. And I remember what she said to us. She said, maybe everybody feels this pain and I just can't handle it. She just had given up hope. She thought, there's just something wrong with me. Chronic pain is just debilitating. Well, she started going to college in California and trying to navigate this. And I was actually in California when she was rushed to the emergency room. And so I met her over at the emergency room and they were trying to figure out what was going on. They began to give um, to manage her pain and trying to figure out what was wrong here. But the problem with her disease is that there is no cure. There is just nothing, it's just management, it's pain management, and sometimes you're able to manage it better than other times. 
Well, when Darla and I were in Israel for the first time in 2011, we went to the Wailing Wall. And I remember going to the Wailing Wall, and each of us, we had written prayers on a piece of paper, and we put them in the wall. It's where the original temple was that Jesus was at. And we went to the Wailing Wall, and we just prayed that God would heal our daughter. I remember standing at the pool of Bethesda where Jesus healed a man who didn't even ask to be healed. And it was really a difficult place for Darla. Because we're at this place, she says, Jesus healed a man who didn't even ask to be healed. Why won't he do this for us? And it was just a difficult journey. Well, our family doctor here in Las Vegas was just incredible. He said, we are not taking this sitting down. He goes, even though there's not a cure, we're starting over and we're going to start doing some things. And so he began to suggest, suggest some things, begin to change her diet, and she began to improve. And day after day and month after month, she began to improve. And after five years of constant, everyday pain by the grace of God, today, she lives a normal, pain-free life. And as we were all talking about this this week, because I wanted to share it with you, and I got permission from Corey to share this journey with you, even though the doctor said that she would not get better, we're confident that the Lord healed her. Well, many of you have gone through a journey that makes, our, makes ours pale in comparison. Many of you have gone through a journey that you have just been so desperate for God to show up. Well, today we're going to look at three stories where Jesus encounters desperate people who are in situations just like this. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Mark chapter 5. It's the chapter right before this that Jesus was on the Sea of Galilee with his disciples. And this terrible storm comes out of nowhere. I talked about this at Christmas. Jesus was exhausted from the day's work, and he's asleep on a cushion in the boat during this storm. Well, the disciples take this as Jesus not caring. You know, they're like, Jesus, don't you care? Because this is really the answer, the question that we have for Jesus when we go through things like this. Don't you care? Don't you care what we're going through? And Jesus gets up and he wipes the sleep out of his eyes and he just says, peace, be still. And the wind and the waves calm down and the disciples ask, who is this? And that is the key question that Mark wants to answer for us in his gospel. Who is this? Because Mark's agenda in writing the gospel is to establish the identity of Jesus. And what we've seen so far in the identity of Jesus is he has the authority to forgive sins. That Jesus has the authority over religion. See that Jesus has authority over nature. The wind and the waves, they obey him. And today we're going to see Jesus' authority over demons, disease, and death. And these three stories, they are back to back to back. And we're going to start in Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. It says, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. Now, I want you to kind of see this on a map because this will maybe help you. This map right here, you see, is the Sea of Galilee. Much of Jesus' miracles and his ministry happened around here. At the very top, you can see where it says Capernaum. That was Jesus' hometown. Now, Jesus is getting in the boat. He's in the middle of the Sea of Galilee during the storm, and they're heading over here where it says um, um, Gergesa. 
If you see that on the eastern side, this is where Jesus is heading. Now, this is the area called the Decapolis. This is the ten cities. And the disciples had to be thinking, why are we going over here, Jesus? We're not supposed to be over here because this was considered enemy territory. This is where they had pagan temples that they practiced violence in every kind of sexual expression. It was dark and evil and oppressive and demonic, and no good Jew would have ever gone to this side of the Sea of Galilee. Well, in this story right here, it's somewhere between 9 o'clock and midnight, so it's dark outside. Verse 2, it says, when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one can bind him anymore, not even with the chain. For he had been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and he would cut himself with stones. Not only was he chained up all the time, but he didn't wear any clothes. He had not lived in a house for a long time. And he was so violent that people knew that they needed to stay away from him. And he was in a desperate situation. And everyone around him was desperate as well. Verse 9, then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion. He replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Now, this is interesting what Jesus asked him. He asked him his name. He said his name is Legion. Now, this is a loaded word in this story because this term refers to a unit in the Roman army, and it consisted of 6,000 men. Now, I don't know if this means that there was 6,000 demons, but we know that there were many And then in verse 11, it says, A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and were drowned. Does anybody know what the most unclean, repulsive animal is for the Jewish people? It's a pig. But in this region, the pig was regarded as sacred. They would actually use the pigs in their worship. And so the demons asked to go into the pigs. And it says, verse 14, those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. They were just the hired hands, but they go and tell the owners. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave the region. Jesus was bad for business. They're like, we just want you to go. Please leave and get out of here. We don't like what you have done here. And they just beg him to leave. For some of you, you're in a spiritual battle right now. And it feels like that. You're in a spiritual battle, maybe it's an addiction, maybe it's something, and it feels like you just are chained up. It is a sin issue, it is something that you can't quite get a hold of, and you find yourself in a desperate situation. Well, this guy begs Jesus to let him get in the boat with Jesus. He goes, I want to go with you, because it would have been humbling for him to stay behind. Everybody knows his background. 
Everybody knows what he's been through in his life. Everybody knows he's that guy. But Jesus tells him, no, you can't get into the boat. He goes, I want you to go home and tell everyone how much the Lord has done for you. See, some of you think you can't share your faith. You don't know how to share your faith. This is it right here. You just go home and you tell what the Lord has done for you. That's it. You go tell the people in your life how much Jesus has changed your life and what he has done for you. Well, Jesus and the disciples, they get back in the boat and they head back to Capernaum. They head back to his home base and the crowds are waiting there for him. Verse 21 says, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Jairus is a synagogue ruler. Which means that, that his job is to direct the services and activities of the synagogue. Kind of think of, of a pastor, a professor, and mayor all wrapped into one. That's what a synagogue ruler was. Because of this, he is wealthy and he's respected in the community. And Jairus is risking everything. He is risking his position by coming to Jesus and asking for help. But he's desperate. Maybe his daughter took a drastic turn the night before because we know Jesus had just been there. But maybe something had happened during the night. And he falls at the feet of Jesus, which would have been a humbling thing. He's a synagogue ruler. Synagogue rulers don't do this. But he doesn't care. He doesn't care what other people think because he's desperate. Maybe for some of you, maybe the reason that you've resisted Jesus is because you care what other people think. Maybe the reason that you've not really surrendered your life to Jesus is because you wonder what, what people are going to think about you. And so the question for all of us, the question that we have to begin to wrestle with is when will your desperation override your pride? When will you finally allow your desperation to override your pride? Verse 24, it says, a large crowd followed and pressed around him. I don't know if you've ever been at a sports venue or a concert that was so crowded that the crowds were so thick that if you didn't kind of hold on to the person that you're with, you know, you weren't going to be able to stay with them. Well, that's what's going on here is the crowds are crushing. They're trying to get close to Jesus and they're trying to get Jesus through this crowd so they can get him to Jairus's house. It says, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Well, compare these two people. You have a synagogue ruler and you have a woman who has been bleeding for 12 years and therefore has not been allowed to go to the synagogue because she's considered unclean. He leads the synagogue, and she's not allowed in the synagogue. And we get this, 
behind-the-scenes glimpse of how the gospel writers tell the story of Jesus through their own personality. This story right here is actually told in three of the Gospels. And Luke is one of the ones who tells this story. But he leaves out the part about this woman suffering under the care of many doctors and spending all of her money on doctors. Any guess on what Luke does for a living? He's a doctor. He just decided, I don't like that part. I'm leaving that part out. We're not telling that part. Well, imagine this woman. For 12 years, she suffers some sort of uterine bleeding. She suffers physically. And she suffers financially. She's lost all of her money. Maybe at this stage of her life, maybe she's a beggar. We don't know. And she suffers spiritually. The Old Testament is very clear about this. That she has a problem with bleeding. And that would mean that she was unclean. And anyone who touched her would be unclean. The bed that she slept in would be unclean. The chair that she sat in would be unclean. It's possible that she has not been touched in 12 years. Maybe she's a mother. Maybe she's a wife and has not been able to touch anyone for 12 years. And she goes to bed every night just begging God to heal her. Some of you have been there. Verse 27, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she had been freed from her suffering. She gets this crazy idea. She hears that that Jesus is back in town and she thinks, if I just touch him, maybe I'll be healed. And she's desperate. But she's willing to humble herself to be healed. Literally, what this says is that she kept saying to herself. She was talking to herself. So imagine this scene. She's trying to get close to Jesus, and she keeps saying to herself, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. If I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. If I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. When you're in a desperate place, and when you're in one of those desperate moments, what do you say to yourself? See, maybe what you say to yourself is, it's just too late for me. I've struggled with this for too long. My addiction is too strong. My marriage is too broken. My child's heart is too hard. My finances are too wrecked. My health is too far gone. But for this woman, she just says, if I touch his clothes, you begin to speak faith into your heart. You begin to speak faith in what God is going to do into your heart. That's what she does. And in this moment, Jesus stops for two people who have nothing to offer. Jairus, the synagogue ruler, has nothing to offer. I mean, what's he going to offer Jesus? A better seat in the synagogue? He has nothing to offer. And here is this woman who has been bleeding for 12 years. She's considered unclean. She has nothing to offer. And Jesus stops for people who have nothing to offer. Verse 31. Verse 30, at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and he asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding around you, the disciples answered, and you can ask who touched me? The disciples are like, are you crazy who touched me? There's 50 people who are touching you right now. The crowds are crushing you. We need to get you to Jairus' house. We need to go. But he felt power leave his body. He's fully God, but he's fully human. So you see these two things come together. 
This is different than just the crowds touching him. Jesus knows that something has happened. And finally, the woman comes forward. Maybe Jesus was looking right at her. Maybe he was waiting for her to identify herself. And Jesus calls her daughter. I love this. It's the only time that I'm aware of in the Bible that Jesus calls someone daughter. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and you'll be freed from your suffering. Wow, how powerful. This encounter with Jesus. But you can almost feel the anxiety of Jairus. Wanting to get Jesus to his house before his daughter dies. And Jesus stops to talk to this woman. You can just imagine him. He's probably just going crazy trying to get Jesus to move. And at that moment, his worst fear happens. Some people show up and they tell Jairus that his daughter is dead. Said, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Talk about desperation. But Jesus has words for him. Verse 36, overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. Now, in this culture, what was very customary is that when somebody died, you would hire professional mourners to come in and to mourn. It's something that was done. Somebody of Jairus' caliber and his status would have all kinds of people coming in to do this. So this now kind of makes sense where you have all of this commotion and then they stop and laugh because they're not emotionally invested. They're hired people to mourn. But beyond that is saying, we know dead people. This girl is dead. She's not just sleeping. It says, after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and he went into where the child was. I love this because Jesus wants this mother and dad who have been praying for their little girl, he wants them to see what's about to happen. He took her by the hand, and he said to her, Talitha Koum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. All three of these people in the story were considered unclean. The man with the evil spirit, the woman bleeding, and a dead girl, and Jesus touches every one of them, and none of them go unnoticed. In the midst of the crowds, Jesus makes sure that desperate people don't go unnoticed. He stopped for them. He engaged them. See, following Jesus means that desperate people don't go unnoticed. So let me just speak some faith into you. Let me just speak some words into you that maybe you need to hear today. Just because the doctors can't do it doesn't mean that Jesus can't do it. And just because you can't fix it doesn't mean that Jesus can't fix it. 
And just because you can't heal your marriage doesn't mean that Jesus can't heal your marriage. And just because you've not been able to overcome that addiction doesn't mean that Jesus can't overcome that addiction. And just because you haven't gotten married doesn't mean that you won't get married. And just because you haven't been able to have a child doesn't mean that you won't have a child. And just because you haven't been healed doesn't mean that you won't be healed. See, you begin to tell yourself of God's faithfulness into your life. And here's this bottom line. Is that when your desperation overrides your pride, you are a candidate for God's deliverance. See, sometimes it's just our pride that stands in the way. We don't want to be noticed. And what we see is when your desperation overrides your pride, you become a candidate for God's deliverance. Does God always show up the way we want? Well, of course not. I've done too many funerals. I've, I've stood beside too many hospital beds. I've counseled too many people to believe that my desire is always God's desire. But following Jesus means that desperate people don't go unnoticed. And at a place like the crossing, there's a lot of people who find themselves in desperate situations. We, we get dozens of prayer requests that come in every single week. Let me just read a few of these that have recently come in. It says, our son has been in the ICU for five days now and desperately needs prayer. He's in a semi-coma. He responds to pain, but will not wake up and respond to any commands. My family is heartbroken, and I just thought I would reach out for more prayer. We sure do need it. We've been praying. We've been praying. Our oldest son has been sick and undiagnosed for the past four and a half years. At this point in time, his doctors believe that he has Crohn's disease. We've been through so many tests and labs and surgeries and biopsies that I feel like our heads are spinning at times. And so to finally be close to a legitimate diagnosis feels surreal. He's had the worst week in four and a half years. And he's in such pain that I want nothing more than just to take the pain away from him. Please pray for God's healing hand on my sweet boy and that the doctors can finally figure out a diagnosis and we can move forward with treatment. We've been praying. Tammy, it's not her real name. Tammy is working so hard to overcome her addictions and there seems to be these constant obstacles in her way. She knows it's Satan, but she knows the God she serves is stronger and loves her and wants her well. Please pray she remains strong and that God will open up doors to treatment. Another woman writes, I've walked away from my marriage after trying so hard, and now more than ever I need God's help finding my way back to my husband and mending it. Another one says, Lord, repair my anger. Confusion and weariness during this time light my path. My teenage daughter ran away from home and has been gone for two months. People were desperate then. People are desperate now. I've read hundreds, perhaps thousands of these over the years. And what I can tell you for certain is that you are surrounded by desperate people. And my prayer is, my prayer is, that in this place, no one goes unnoticed. We're going to be doing something that we don't do very often. We're going to have a chance for anyone who needs prayer to be prayed for. Let me tell you what's going to happen. I'm going to pray. And then Michelle's going to come out and she's going to sing one song. And we're going to have pastors and elders and prayer people on the sides here. 
for anyone who wants to be prayed for. And so here's my ask, is that you will not leave early. There's people who are around you are in desperate situations, and we don't want to disrupt this moment. So Michelle's going to come out, and she's going to sing a song. And then I'm just going to invite you, anybody who wants to be prayed for can be prayed for. And then after that song, we'll be dismissed. God, we come to you, and we thank you for being a God who meets people in desperate situations, and no one goes unnoticed. So God, we just pray that you would meet us where we are. God, that you would meet our deepest needs. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.